Welcome to Unpacking the Digital Shelf, where we explore brand manufacturing in the digital age. Hey everyone, Peter Crosby here from the Digital Shelf Institute. With 90% of all Target's digital sales being fulfilled by the local store, the retail media opportunity with Target is one that needs to be worked both at the national level and the local level, down to each individual store and the surrounding set of consumers. In this episode, Lauren Levack and I take a deep dive on how to best plan and execute a winning strategy at Target with David Glaza, founder and CEO of retail media agency Digits. So David, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. I've been really looking forward to talking to you about you know, the expertise that you have in Target. Uh, so thank you so much for taking the time to talk to our audience. Great to be here. Nice, nice to be with you guys. Yeah, everyone is constantly talking about retail media these days, and it seems like every day a new retail media platform is popping up. So it's a, you know, it's a constant, fast-moving space. And what I love is because you know when people name the big three: Amazon, Walmart, Target. I feel like, and it's we haven't yet been able to have a conversation with somebody who's really focused on Target retail media. You, know, you have 15 years of working with Target on that. And so I'd love for us to tell you, just start out, just, you know, where is Target's retail media uh, offering right now? You know, what are you seeing in the market, uh, how they're looking to drive a better experience for their uh, guests or customers? So uh, yeah, dive right in with sort of what you're seeing out in the market there right now. Yeah. And it's great to be here. And I know, um, yeah, my, my company Digits, we have, you know, myself and a lot of my team, we have a, a lot of experience with Target. Most of us worked at Target as either merchants or Roundel folk um, kind of before kind of joining the Digits. Oh. You know, really our purpose for here is to help brands understand Target retail media. And the way we define retail media um, is, is broader probably than um, I think the, the standard term, but we think of it really as anything um, that can help drive digital sales um, faster or omni-channel sales really at faster. So it's any sort of lever that a retailer um, provides to a brand um, sort of in the digital space. Uh, so, you know, Target, you know, Roundel has gotten a ton of publicity. They do a great job. They, they've really grown um, both in scale and in offerings. Um, but we also focus in a lot at um, things like digital shelf copy images, um, you know, search coupons, really anything um, that Target has there. So they, they've offered a lot of uh, options available to brands. And and it feels like they've been winning. Uh, you know, their their business results have been pretty strong. Like, what are you what are you seeing kind of on the ground yourself? Yeah, they have. I mean, Target, they've received a lot of accolades for their um, digital business. I mean, it's 15, 20 percent sort of of their total now. Uh, we have baby clients that drive 48% of their sales digitally. Wow. Um, and so, and those are, those are items that are full chain stocked, uh, but yet they're still driving nearly half of their business off of somebody's phone or somebody's laptop. Um, and so that's crazy. Um, the important thing to highlight sort of with Target though, is, you know, 90% or so of their digital business is still driven out of the local stores. And so it's very different than, you know, an Amazon business. Um, it's very different than selling something on Instagram or, or Facebook where, you know, then they're going to D to C ship it to your house. And so, you know, the target business, even digitally is still heavily localized. You know, the vast majority of those purchases are still happening within like a five mile radius um, of a target store. Um, and those shoppers 
you know, if they're anything you know, like, like me, and I'm guessing a lot of people that are listening, you know, sometimes you walk in the store and shop, sometimes you do a drive up, sometimes you do a shipped, you really mix out your wallet and your purchases across all of those touch points. Um, and that's what I think what Target's gotten really good at is speaking to that shopper the same way, no matter how you want to shop. Um, and that really opens up a lot of options for brands. Uh, I mean, there's so many more ways for brands to interact with the customers, but yeah, and they really went into COVID uh, kind of, you know, not knowing what was coming, but they had, they had put a lot of that infrastructure in place and, and put a lot into their app and things like that. So yeah. they kind of had a bunch of things going on that um, through both intention, but also given the environment through luck kind of made it the perfect time to be good at that, right? Yeah, they got, they were set up for success and I think they've really capitalized on it. Um I mean, my last job at Target is I had launched out their cartwheel app from the business side. And so I had run that a couple of years um, and through ourselves, the marketing team, the rest of the team, we grew that to almost 40 million users. And that's when it was a standalone app. And that was by far exceeding, I think, where we thought it would be. But it really taught Target, you know, how to get people into their app, the value of having a, a login, the value of having that, you know, relationship with somebody on their phone. And then... A few years before COVID, they folded that all into their, their flagship app, their master target app, and really ported all those users over um, into that flagship app. And they rolled out DriveUp, um, to, your, to your point, sort of kind of serendipitously right before COVID. And so when that when COVID hit, you know, shoppers were already familiar with the app. They had tens of millions of active users that easily could sort of click a few buttons and do their order um, contactless, right? Um, nobody ever saw COVID coming, but like that was the, the uh, a killer uh, provided service um, to really take advantage of that. And they've just kept the scale. Um, it wasn't a spike and drops back down. Like it's basically, it's kept growing um, their digital percentage, uh, at least within our client base, uh, really since the beginning of COVID. And, and one of the things that really jumped out at me when I when I was looking at at you guys is you had a, a graphic of of what how you you express the target digital flywheel. Can you kind of walk us through those those pieces from your perspective and why that sort of works? You know, that gives you that flywheel uh, kind of energy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we you know being experts on sort of target digital. Um, even in initial conversations with brands, they'll sort of ask, well, how do we win at Target, right? Either they're trying to get in and they're building their strategy or they're already in, but they don't have, you know, a, a really robust digital business yet. So, um, you know, the first thing we'll do is talk about, you know, investing. Um, and there's two ways to invest. One is with money. Um, that's sort of what everybody thinks about, right? Is yep. how much money do you have to buy media and or help your digital at Target? And so, you know, some brands, it's as low as 2% of their sales and some it's as high as 20 or more um, if you're a small brand and you're really just trying to, to push business. The other is in team. Um, and so how experts are you in Target? Do you have a local salesperson that understands their digital? Um, do you work with somebody like us? Do you have other agencies? Like how are you truly understanding the uniqueness of, of Target or broader uniqueness of any retailer they're working with? Um, and so that's one we'll push on brands. And once we get that done, then we talk about the flywheel. Um, and so you know, we talk about Target's digital flywheel, um, kind of five buckets. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of walk through them and highlight you know, a few things that are unique to Target um, because you know, these same sort of tactics you know, really could apply at any omni-channel retailer, um, 
but you know, we push a lot about, you know, targets a bit different. You need to have focused resources um, and how to do that. So we can kind of teach, you know, hopefully teach a little bit today or, you know, when we talk to brands about it. Um, so one really is digital shelf. That's I think what probably people talk about mostly is digital shelf, right? So it's copy, it's images, it's reviews. Um, and, and so that that is sort of a longstanding, you know, digital shelf benefit. The target tip, if you will, it's, it really is on the images. Um, and so a lot of brands get caught up because they're so used to creating Amazon images, um, but Target's mobile hero image standards are quite different. And so because of that, a lot of brands don't even create mobile heroes. If you search around at Target, you don't see them, you just see product shots. Um, but so Target does accept them, but they have special rules that you need to follow. Um, they don't allow as much text. They have other um, kind of accessibility standards that are different. Um, and so we push brands to really focus on those and you have to create them custom for Target. Um, the opposite side is reviews. They're not nearly as important um, as they are sort of on Amazon. I mean, having reviews is good. You don't want to have a bad review score, but we have brands that have come to us and said, oh, we only have 300 reviews at Target and I have, let's say 10,000 at Amazon. Like, is that a problem? Or like, I target 300 actually is a, a decent number. Um, and so, you know, that's a little bit different there than other places. And can I ask, is that is that something that is... Uh part of sort of Target's algorithm, they just don't weight it as heavily as that is. And and do you know what that philosophy is and why, or is it just, you know, yeah, I'd love to know just yeah. where you think that comes from. And I think it's some of the algorithm. I think it's also because, I mean, Target's assortment is just so much smaller, right? Like they only have, a, let's say four foot section of men's shampoo. So there's only so many items, right? And it's already curated um, versus if you go on Amazon and search men's shampoo, there's going to be all of these brands that you maybe have never heard of and so you're really trusting, you know, consumer reviews to be your merchant um, in some ways. Where at Target, most customers, I think, think if Target's carried it, it's probably pretty good. And yeah. so they might look at reviews to learn a little bit more about it, but they're not expecting, you know, tens of thousands of reviews to sort of validate that the item's good. They assume if it's carried at Target, it's, it's you know, it's good enough in some ways. And then it's more of just, is it the right item for them um, versus, you know, versus an Amazon as a marketplace. Got it. And Target is one of those retailers that really doubled down on the scorecarding and making sure that all the content is present. And can you talk a bit about that in connection to all of the other pieces of the puzzle for Target and how you need to incorporate that into your strategy? Yeah, yeah. Target, um, and it's it's been a couple of years now, they have a, a digital scorecard. They work with um, a third party to sort of do that the quantitative work um, and they score you. And so you need to have at least an 80 out of 100 um, to kind of pass. If you're below 80, then you're on the naughty list and, you know, you'll work with, with the merchant teams and whatnot to sort of fix that out. But I would say there's not many vendors on the naughty list anymore. Um, when it first started, I'd say the average was in the sixties. And so a lot of vendors had to work, um, to kind of get that up. But it, today it's really about, um, how many images, how much copy, how many reviews. And I'd say the standards that target has set there is pretty achievable, um, to sort of be at that 80% or above, but, but us as an agency and brands, they love it because at least gives um, gives you a, a target to aim for, right? Like, should I have a hundred characters in my copy or should I have 10,000, right? Like they, it could be sort of um, broad and it gives you a number that you should aim for based on target standards. And the next bucket on the flywheel um, for us is Target Circle, um, formerly Cartwheel. And obviously this is near and dear to my heart and a lot of my team sort of used to be on that crew. Uh, but because it's unique to Target, it's really forgotten by many brands. Uh, it is the ro most robust um, digital coupon platform um, for any other sort of proprietary, you know, retailer. Um, Walmart has a partnership with Ibotta, but it's not nearly as blown on and as integrated um, as, you know, Circle is for Target. And so 
Um, a lot of brands I'd say don't have dedicated sort of plans around it. They're still focused on ads and TPCs. Um, whereas in, in our, our experience, circle promotions are going to be your best return on an investment and really brands should be um, pushing as much dollars and energy into it as they can. And it's also personalizable. Um, you can find and dedicate um, coupons to people that you know have bought your brand or haven't bought your brand or are category shoppers or aren't category shoppers. And so you can slice and dice um, really, um, really niche. Uh, but you have to devote the energy and time to do that as a brand or a sales team or a shopper team. And so that's one thing we push on uh, for brands quite a bit as well. And is that omnichannel? Is that both digital coupons and in-store coupons? Uh, it is. Yep. So it's a digital only interface. Like there's no tags at shelf. Um, but if you click the coupon, you can use it on target.com or you can use it in store. Um, the digital rates are actually about three times higher. And so wow. if you're a brand that wants to boost digital sales um, using Circle naturally, you know, people will, because it's already on your phone, right? Those are the types of people that are ordering shipped or ordering drive up or, or whatnot, you know, within the app. I love the Target app. I don't know if, I don't know if anyone on here has used it as well. Peter, I don't know if you use it a lot, but it also, the coupons are like notifications. So you get like a push notification when you've bought something previously and you have a coupon and it's on sale. and that for me, like as a consumer is something that I don't necessarily check the app unless I need it. So that's an interesting way as well to kind of bring people back into the app. Yeah, they've done a great job with, um, you know, I almost think of it like a personalized circular, right? I mean, there's hundreds of circle deals and they know, I mean, Target's smart enough with data to know what you bought and haven't bought. And so, you know, if you haven't bought cereal in a while, or maybe you used to, they'll say, you know, circle deals on items you bought before, right? And they'll try to get you then to buy it again. And so those are deals that are available for everybody. It's just, they do a really good job of shuffling up the deck um, and try to highlight things that are going to help your purchase um, and make it feel really personal, even if maybe it is a mass deal, um, but it kind of, you know, creating your own personalized discount shopping experience at Target, um, which I think some of the other Omni re retailers haven't, you know, been able to replicate that. And it's been a competitive advantage for Target and you know for brands that use it. And so you've got you've got your digital shelf all kind of set up, optimized. You're connecting with some of Target's best customers in a really efficient way. What's next on the flywheel? Yeah, next is uh, paid search. Um, and so you know, paid search is pretty uh, widely done at a lot of retailers. Uh, at Target, they leverage Critio and they leverage um, Citrus to sort of be their providers for paid search. The biggest difference, though, at Target, and this is where I'd say a lot of um, you know former Amazon agencies or kind of national shopper agencies uh, don't always maybe work right at Target, is um, Target doesn't allow competitive conquesting, and so it's the opposite for Amazon. So you know, if you're trying to sell um, Tombstone Pizza or something, which is what I grew up with in Wisconsin, that you can't bid on that um, if you're, you know, DiGiorno or, or somebody else, right? You can only bid on the term pizza. You can't, you know, Coke, Pepsi bid against each other. And so a lot of brands will waste money bidding on their own keywords, where if you only have four SKUs and you get a brand pure search, um, you shouldn't really be waste, wasting your money to kind of protect your own business. You should be using it to grow and capitalize on the buy. So, and so I'm imagining that decision by Target, it probably costs them money because they would just make money off of competitive bidding. But it's is this more of a Target's going to put the experience for the consumer for like what's that business decision for them? Do you yeah, think? 
I think that's exactly it, right? Like Target spends a ton of time trying to create the right assortment. And then, you know, they'll teach you about a brand. And I think if a shopper is dedicated enough to type Chobani, let's say into the search engine, they don't want to see Yoplait items. That just seems yeah. wrong, right? Um, and the Amazon experience is opposite. Obviously, they, they've been doing that for decades, right? Like yeah. you type in a brand and they'll put that halfway down the page and put the other items in front of it. And I think it's just what the customers have grown to expect from each individual place, right? Um, but Target's always um, been very proud of their clean in-store experience. And I think this is just their way of trying to make that same way digitally clean, easy to shop, um, not trying to sell you something that you didn't say you wanted. So, Well, I also always loved about Target is they, they call their customers guests and, and they do that very intentionally in order to make this a personalized experience. And, and to your point about like conquesting on Amazon versus on Target and just the, the different experience, not better or worse, just different. I think as you're going through this flywheel, it's also very clear that they're very intentional about having a guest come in, have a great experience, make sure it's simple, easy, they're shopping where they are. So I just love that that kind of rings true through everything that you're sharing as well. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can competitive conquest, but not through search, right? Like we just talked about circle. So if you wanted a competitive conquest, you have to do that, but it's a little more sneaky in a way, right? Like you're, you can offer coupons to those shoppers, but not in the experience where they're searching for somebody else, right? You have to try to find them a different way um, through media or through coupons or whatnot. Oh, and that's kind of the next bucket. And so, you know, Roundel is traditional retail media. Um, you know, that's what you'll see if you like, Googled for target retail media, right? Roundel would come back. Um, they, you know, offer a very large sort of assortment of tactics for both on-site and off-site. Um, but the biggest bogey, so what's sort of different at Target is, you know, they have a large annual investment minimum um, for managed service. And so you can run Critio programs, you know, starting at zero, essentially. But if you want a planned out, you know, offsite program, um, you can't do it unless you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Um, so a lot of new brands, they don't have that. But about a year or two ago, Target made all their inventory and data available, their audience data available through Trade Desk and other DSP partners. Um, and so we actually, as digits, can go and buy those placements for brands, um, essentially starting at zero. So, you know, I was saying you can't competitive conquest on search, but we could build you an audience of category shoppers in a certain brand that are defined to target and run you media, you know, off platform um, to try to competitively conquest, if you will, but through that way, um, not through, you know, targets uh, direct search program. Can you talk a little bit more about the data? So overall, from like a retail media perspective, is Target willing to share more audience data and sales and category data than you would say other retailers? Or has it kind of like grown and expanded over the years? Is that like a focus for them? Um, I mean, the audience data, I think they were one of the first retailers that did that, where they made their audiences available through third-party DSPs. Um, and so, you know, there's a whole bunch of data privacy stuff um, where obviously we don't know who they are, but we can, you know, work with them and work with the DSP to get an audience set um, of the defined category shoppers. Um, and then if you spend enough money, you'll actually get, you know, first party sales tracking with it as well, um, where you'll know what your ROAS was um, kind of on that spend. 
Uh, but I think Target's been leading that space. Now, there's some other retailers. I know Albertsons got some press recently about trying to do similar things. And I know their press releases have talked about them being even more open. Um, but that's pretty nascent yet. We haven't been able to see what that offering really is. Um, but in theory, I think that that's the way uh, a lot of the business is going is because these retailers can make dollars uh, by opening up their audiences and kind of earning um, money for kind of providing the audience data. It, it does seem, though, that retailers are taking different approaches to how uh, generous they're going to be sharing with their brand partners uh, data and performance and things like that. Where do you think the industry, do you think that more openness is inevitable or uh, for everyone, for the rising tide to lift all boats? Like, uh, where do you think the sort of the trend is going across these media, uh, media platforms? Um, it's a good question. I think today, even targets more open as far as like sales data. We work with some smaller retailers that just don't have as much um, resources or systems or processes built out to show and share like store level digital versus sales data, you know, at theirs where a target, you can get access to that information very easily as a brand. It's kind of just part of your, your program. Um, to answer your question of where it's going, I think, I think it's going towards more real time and more robust because I see the omni-channel grocery world turning more into like the direct-to-consumer world where, you know, historically, if you were a direct-to-consumer marketer on Facebook or Instagram, you could really, you know, set up LTV segments, you could get demographics, you can get real-time sales reporting, and you can optimize your media spend almost by the hour. Um, and traditional retail media, you're more working in campaigns, like one month yeah. buckets, three month buckets, and then you'll hopefully get reporting back a month later and what, and you're kind of working in seasons where I think in general, retailers that are able to op open up that data to, to how much privacy they actually share that I don't know, but the ability to make day-to-day -day business decisions and then spend more money to hopefully um, make your business do what you want it to do. I think those retailers will win um, as far as at least from as far as collecting more retail media dollars. So, yeah, I, I've been talking to a number of brand leaders who are frustrated with the ability to do att attribution and understand, you know, the results of these campaigns and are finding it. And part of it is I, I just don't know if some of the retailers, like you said, even have the data or their capacity to sort of make those connections. But when I think about the organic side of things, you know, when we look at the world of the product detail page and where is that going? I think it's in the same direction, which is that over time, it's in the retailer and the brand's best interests to present an experience that is best for that con that consumer in, in some way or another. And that requires, I think, and I'd love your thoughts on this, deep collaboration between retailers and brands to do that sort of at scale and speed over the next you know, five seven years or something like that. Is that yeah. too lofty or am I, are we thinking kind of similarly? In no, I, I think we're thinking the same. I think the, the challenges retailers have is they do not usually like dedicating resources to these kinds of things. <laughs> yeah. And so it, I mean, the whole retail media industry is shifting towards sort of a self-service model. Right. Yeah. And so I do agree with your goal of where it should go. I think the fix in some ways is, how is it all just systemized? 
I don't know if it's an AI thing or if it's um, software as a service companies sort of figuring this stuff out and it plugs in and that's sort of the connect between the retailer and their brand. Um, because I think I, I don't envision retailers themselves building this tech and dedicating the team, but they might be happy to pay a small rev share to somebody that else that figures it out, right? If um, if it's going to sort of expand the boat, right? And, and kind of yeah. grow uh, that way. Very cool. No. And I think uh, I think you have one more stage on your... Yeah, the last bit of the flywheel. And it, it leads in perfectly because... Um, you know, if, if the talking point around first party retail media, whether it be Roundel or Walmart Connect or whatnot, as kind of these planned out, not yet daily optimized programs is is a fifth flywheel is third party media. And so for us, obviously, it's digits media because that's who we are. But you know, how are you running offsite media through your own DSP or your own planning um, in conjunction with with Target or with Roundel or whomever? Um, and so for us, you know, we find ways to create cheap interactions and awareness, you know, in a localized way around stores and we can turn it off and on almost by the day. Um, we get reporting back on a much quicker basis. Um, but we envision a, a world where, you know, the way you describe sort of real time media is you're doing that, but you can do a lot of that on your own, um, as well. And so you don't have to necessarily work through a managed service program. You can either do it through an in-house agency, a third party like us, um, but you're doing that sort of in conjunction with your, you know, your local sales team, your local shopper team, um, and spending a good amount of your money off platform. And so not necessarily through uh, the retailers, retail media. And David, one of the things about Target that I always have conversations with brands about is, is private label, right? So they have a very strong kind of private label brand for themselves at Target. And I know that can be a challenge for some of the brands competing with them. What would you say about what they can do with the flywheel you just talked about or some advice around PDPs or content to help brands stand out outside of the, the private labels that exist? Yeah. Yeah. Target's always been huge in private label and they, whether it be up and up market pantry, apparel, um, all in motion, sort of their apparel athletic brand. I mean, they have multiple billion dollar brands sort of at Target sort of sprinkled across the store. And um, for us specifically, we we help brands more in food and essentials. And, and so like in that space, typically Target uh, positions them as like a value brand, right? They are, um, they're good quality, right? They're, they're not cheap, cheap, but they are on the lower end of the price point. And so when brands ask us about it, there's kind of two buckets that we will tell them just sort of try to differentiate in there. And um, both are sort of off plays of, you know, you know, target strategy, right? And so target on a lot of their private label, their digital experience is kind of narrow. Um, they have not invested a ton into super awesome images, videos, reviews. Um, they're winning the top search results anyway, because they're the number one sellers and they're kind of these huge brands with a lot of space in store. Um, but if you didn't know anything about the item, it might not convince you to buy it, right? And so we tell our brands that if you're going to try to challenge them and be a premium price point, is you need to have a great digital experience, right? Like your images, they need to convince somebody to buy it um, because targets today, a lot of them are just pack shots um, and it's not necessarily convincing it. 
um, and really let that brand side show through, right? Like you're not just a product on a shelf, you are a brand, you have a story, you have a reason to buy, you have a demographic you're going to. And so how do you make that come through digitally? Um, whereas obviously Target's own brands don't necessarily do that. And then the other bucket is urgency with pricing. Um, so Target, you know, is pretty much an everyday low for a lot of their own brands. And so, you know, Target's levers, whether it be Circle, whether it be, you know, if you have lucky enough to get an ad or what, is how do you drive that urgency with pricing to drive that trial? Um, and then, you know, hopefully you win that win that person over, that shopper over, and they'll keep purchasing you, you know, because you've proven how awesome your, your product is. And so, so those two levers kind of as part of our flywheel are the ones that differentiate the best um, sort of against private label. So uh, tell us a bit, you know, your, your clients are working the flywheel with you, doing a, a lot of these uh, activities that you're talking about to reach success. So much of it is about how do I measure and know what's working, know what's not working, you know, and sort of uh, earn your budget with finance. You know, there's a bunch of conversations that, that these results need to drive uh, for the next season, as you put it. And so can you walk me through sort of how you uh, help clients with that piece of it? to know what's working, what's not. Yeah, for us, um, it's one of the things we pride ourselves on, I would say is being able to pull all these pieces of the flywheel together, sort of at target. Um, you know, they're all kind of bespoke. They're all, they've all been developed at different times. And so most brands we've talked to don't have them integrated back into their sort of standard processes. You know, every brand has sort of their weekly KPI sheet or their monthly KPI sheet. But, you know, our push to them is, you know, Lauren asked before about the scorecard, right? Is that scorecard on your KPI sheet? What was its score last month? And what is it this month? And what, what, what is each individual brand at? Like, does your, does your sales lead calling you to target? Do they even know that? Um, and some do, and some don't, but that, that's sort of first is how do you incorporate those just into your, you know, your top sheets from there? Um, you know, we push really just target channel growth rates. And so what is your digital penetration by brand? What's your fulfillment method? Meaning, is it shipped? Is it drive up? Is it shipped to home? Um, kind of how is that mix working for your brands? And maybe how is it different across? Because um, those drive good customer insights that your, your headquarters team might be interested in. Um, and then lastly, we roll up all of our retail media into sort of a retail media impact rate. Um, so that's you know, circle search, social, round L, digits, everything sorted together. Um, and how, how much business are we driving on a week to week basis? And then we're tracking that um, versus your total sales on an ongoing basis. So I know a lot of brands will track like promo sales, promotional sales, which is, you know, ads and TPCs, but how are you real-time tracking your Roundel influence sales, your Criteo influence sales, um, and then rolling that up, you know, week over week to trend it and to see if it's impacting your top line. Um, so I don't know if any of those KPIs are you know, earth shattering is what I would say. Um, you know, the data we get back from Target, a lot of brands do are pretty, um, it's pretty top line on some of this stuff, but mm -hmm. it's more about the process. It's more about the consistency um, and really building it as part of your your day-to-day -day job that I think is the winner um, today. And David, one thing I forgot to ask when we were talking about the scorecard was video. I know Target was really doubling down on video. Is that still the case? Are they still, they want to make sure there's video on every PDP? It's really showcasing the product. Is that still an investment for them? Um, it is a today. So yes, they require, require is not correct, but they, they score you on having at least one or two videos, right. For every, every UPC. Um, and so most brands do, um, it's, that was rolled out a couple of years ago. Uh, they have, I would say they haven't really expanded it a ton yet. 
Um, but there are providers out there, like I know Amazon's expanded it, right? Where actually Amazon has pre-roll video. So it's not on the PDP, but if you search for something, it'll actually be on the search results and it'll start scrolling right in the app or on, on the web. And so that is something that, you know, theoretically Target could go to next. Um, but up to today, it's been a lot of just making sure it's on your PDP and they'll lock it into um, spot two or spot three, um, kind of within the image carousel uh, for brands. David, so uh, covered a lot here. And uh, thank you so much for your deep expertise. It's just great to hear somebody who's in the mix of it every day. Um, if, you know, if, if you're chatting with the target channel manager at, uh, that, you know, leads the effort at a brand and they're like, all right, 2023, I want to up my game. Uh, what is it you would tell them to do? What, what do you see on the horizon that that's, that's uh, worth investing in right now? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, if there are somebody that hasn't done a lot of retail media, I think it's really just sort of trying to develop an always on mindset and, um, yeah, how are you always running Critio or always running Circle? I, I think a lot of salespeople have sort of thought of it. It's something you only turn on when you have problems. Um, like, oh, my brand's not selling. Crap, I got to go invest some money. And then they're looking at, you know, four weeks out, six weeks out, eight weeks out. Um, where our opinion is just with the digital landscape is you need to be beating that drum like every day of the year. Um, even for a highly successful brand, they should be investing money back to, into awareness and trial like every day of the year. Um, so I guess that's that's probably um, the biggest push for somebody that just isn't up on it yet, if you will. Um, for brands that ha are pretty good, I think the biggest shift is into the third-party media. So a lot of brands have been running around Dell. They do a pretty good job on Digital Shelf. Um, they do a Credio program, but they haven't yet flipped the switch to you know third-party programming um, in sort of a localized way where... We have brand partners that have started to sort of max out either what they want to spend on site or can spend on site. And then they're still trying to find ways to you know, acquire new shoppers. Um, and so that idea, again, that most of Target's digital sales are happening within like a five mile bubble of the store is we've really grown a lot of brands businesses by really pushing and overlaying media sort of in, in that way um, and then be able to actively manage it more. So to answer your question, that's sort of been the the last step um, for a lot of brands that maybe have kind of figured retail media out, but um, are still sort of keeping up to speed with the, the latest trends. Um, that's really taken hold more in the last year or two. And it seems like, especially with Target, because as you said earlier, the percentage of people who are actually picking up in store or engaging with a store to actually get the product, no matter where they ordered it, is is super high. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah our, with, our, with our media tactic there, we kind of talk about you know, we're not trying to convince somebody to shop a different retailer. We're more saying, okay, who's already spending a lot of money a year at Target and is probably going there this weekend or creating a shipped order this weekend. We want to find them and attach your item to their basket. Um, and so that's a little bit different than, you know, trying to make somebody completely aware of a brand. Um, and we don't care where they fulfill, right? We, we do care whether they fulfill because we can get the best ROI if we actually already know that person loves to shop Target and you're prominently featured there, then great. You know, they can fulfill there for you. There's when everyone knows when you walk into Target. I was just going to say, everyone knows when you walk into Target, you walk out with something that you didn't intend to buy. <laughs> Hopefully you saw an ad two days ago before it, right? And they're like, oh, exactly. I, I did see yeah. that. It does look pretty cool or pretty yummy or whatever. Uh, it's an easier add into your cart than maybe you, than if you had never seen it before. So, 
Yeah, I mean, there's a never-ending maturity curve in everything that we do in, in e-commerce and omni-channel. So, David, thank you so much for, as I said, just bringing your uh, target brain to the podcast. We really appreciate the deep dive. Thank you. Yeah, great to talk with you guys. Appreciated being here. Thank you. Thanks again to David for sharing the depth and breadth of his knowledge with us. Hop on over to digitalshelfinstitute.org and become a member to keep up with everything we have going on. Thanks for being part of our community.